Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to hear somebody say, I've got your back. I've got your back. It means that the person is promising to be with you when life gets hard. It means that you're not alone. It means that somebody's going to fight for you. Somebody's going to defend you. Somebody's going to try to protect you. Somebody's with you in your trouble. But what if it's God who says, I've got your back? That's really good news. And a verse in today's scripture kind of highlights that, gives us that promise. It's Isaiah chapter 58, verse 8. And it says, Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. In other words, God says, I'm going to have your back. God's got my back. I mean, I want that for me. I want that for my family. I want that for my church. I want that for this nation. God's got our back. But listen, you don't get to Isaiah 58 verse 8 without going through verses 1 through 7, right? Because this is one of those conditional promises in the Bible. God says, I'm going to have your back if. If if what? If what? Basically says, God God says, I'm going to have your back if you pour yourself out for the poor. Today we're going to be talking about economic justice. So open up your Bibles, fire up your apps, all that good stuff. To Isaiah chapter 58. And welcome to you who are watching online. We're glad that you're with us here today. We're in a series called Polarized. And what we're learning in this series is that God's word, the Bible, needs to be our authority. Uh, God's word is our authority, not culture, not politics, and certainly not our own personal opinion. And I want to quote Pastor Chad from last week. He said this, We put the kingdom of God before the kingdom of man. We put the cross before the flag. We put the gospel before public policy. And we put the Bible before the Constitution. And any other order reveals that maybe our patriotism has become more important than God. And anything more important than God is a what? An idol. Wow. That's what Pastor Chad said last week. Now, for this series, we're looking at four biblical issues that we know are close to God's heart. And these were biblical issues long before they were political issues. And last week, Chad talked about the sanctity of human life. And if you missed it, you know, please check it out online, cbconline.org. Uh, look for that message. It's really good. Now, if you think about it, two of these issues that we're going to talk about um, are often part of the platform for one of our major political parties, and the other two issues seem like they're part of the platform for the other major political party. Um, So they seem like they're blue issues versus red issues. But listen, truth doesn't come from the right. And truth doesn't come from the left. Truth comes from above. Truth comes from God. 
So thinking biblically rather than thinking politically is going to help us fly above the turbulence of the day. So we're not going to tell you how to vote. We're going to tell you who to vote for. But we're going to grow more and more to understand what God says about how we're supposed to treat, uh, how to create a more just society. And maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online and you're kind of exploring this thing called Christianity. This, this thing about following Jesus. And, and your view is that the church actually separates rather than brings together. And I hope that you'll see that when that happens, and sadly it does happen, the church is not being faithful to Christ. Things that separate like culture and class and color should not separate because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. When we're really following Jesus, really, he, he, he busts down division. And he brings unity. And listen, that's what America needs. And this is why America needs Jesus. This is why I need Jesus. So today we're focusing on economic justice. And if you prefer, as I do, call it biblical justice. And we're going to see this. If we pour ourselves out for the poor, then God's got our backs. Now, Isaiah was a spiritual leader who lived about 700 years before the time of Christ. And the people of God back in his day were outwardly pious. They kept the rules and the rituals and the regulations of religion. But they weren't really loving God and they weren't really loving their neighbors. They talked to talk. They didn't walk to walk. They showed up at the synagogue every Sabbath after treating people unjustly all week long. They were not taking care of the poor. And that grieved God. So Isaiah here calls them out. And he says in this book, if you don't repent of your injustice to the poor, then you know what? This nation is going down. And I think Isaiah's words are still calling us out today. I mean, as we read through this passage, I think you're going to see some things that we would hope America experiences. So I'm just going to read the passage, and then we're going to break down a few verses in it. So start with verse 1, and we'll go down to verse 12. Cry aloud and do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression. And to the house of Jacob, their sins. What are their sins? Well, they seek me daily. They delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. And they delight to draw near to God. And here, here are the people's prayer in verse 3. They're saying to God, well, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? And here's God's answer. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. And you oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. 
is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Well, okay, what, what kind of fast are you looking for, God? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily and your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. I'll have your back. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer and you shall cry and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out, pour yourself out, pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. I want to tell you something. America needs verse 11. And the Lord will guide you continually. And satisfy your desire in scorched places. We got any scorched places in the USA? And make your bones strong. We got people that are sick and who need health in the USA? And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And we need verse 12 in America. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. Any streets in America need to be rebuilt? And you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. I want to see God do that for America. The Lord himself will have your back if you pour yourself out for the poor. So what does pouring ourselves out for the poor actually look like? We're going to focus on just three verses, six through eight today. And you're going to see three responsibilities. One, seek justice. Seek justice. So the people back in Isaiah's day, they're fasting for religious purposes. They're practicing self-control. They're not eating food to purify themselves. They're not eating food to, to prove to God that they mean business spiritually. They want God's hand of blessing. They're trying to get God's attention. But God, who actually does prescribe fasting in other places in the Bible, he says, I'm not impressed. Now, fasting here is really representative of all kinds of religious activities that people do to try to activate God's hand of blessing. I mean, that may be why some of you showed up today. It's like, I want God to bless me this week, so I'm going to church. God is saying, let me tell you the kind of fasting that I choose. Let me tell you the kind of Bible reading that impresses me. Let me tell you the kind of church going that I'm actually wanting to see. That's in verse 6. The kind of fasting that looses the bonds of wickedness and undoes the, undoes the straps of the yoke, that lets the oppressed go free, and that breaks every yoke. 
Now, back in the biblical days, the economic system that was going on in Israel, ancient Israel, was unjust. The rich are leveraging their power to keep the poor in their poverty. So the poor people are yoked and bound and strapped and oppressed. Yoked. When animals are like pulling a plow, you know, they, they yoke, uh, sometimes made out of wood, leather. It's placed around their necks, around their shoulders to connect the animal to the plow. Well, when the yoke is gone, the animal is free. And the Lord, are, Lord is saying here, the poor people in your society have a yoke around their necks. And the rich have set up an economic system to protect me, myself, and mine. And the poor aren't free to actually work for themselves. They're serving the rich. And so the Lord is saying here, remove what keeps people from freedom. Remove what keeps people from flourishing. In ancient Israel, when uh, somebody was struggling financially, the Jewish people could actually sell themselves into slavery in order to be able to get out of debt. But the Bible says that they're supposed to be released every three years. And that didn't happen. And God's saying here, let these poor people be free. Now, historically, the church has been all about this. The church has led the way. If you just study the history of hospitals, the history of orphanages, the history of schools, you're going to find that Christians and the church has led the way to create these organizations, these societies, in order to bless people that are underprivileged. Let me just give you some quotes for some early church leaders. This is Basil of Caesarea, 4th century. It is absurd and disgraceful for one to live magnificently and luxuriously when so many are hungry. If one who takes the clothing off another is a thief, why give any other name to one who can clothe the naked and refuses to do so. The bread in your cupboard belongs to the hungry man. The coat hanging in your closet belongs to the man who needs it. The shoes rotting rotting in your closet belongs to the man who has no shoes. And the money which you put in the bank belongs to the poor. You do wrong to everyone you could help but fail to help. That's what Christian leaders used to say. John Chrysostom, 4th century. Not to enable the poor to share in our goods is to steal from them and to deprive them of life. The goods we possess are not ours, but theirs. When you are weary of praying and do not receive, consider how often you've heard a poor man calling And have not listened to him. God has called his church to help create a more just society in this broken world. And we need to hold our political leaders accountable to create policies that actually serve the poor. That actually empower the poor. Because he says the Lord's going to have your back if you pour yourself out for the poor. One, seek justice. Two, share generously. It is not enough just to abstain from acts of injustice. It is not enough 
for us to work toward a more just public policy. We got to go beyond that and actually give assistance to people in need personally. So what kind of fast is it that pleases God? What's he looking for from churchgoers? Verse 7. Share your bread with the hungry. Bring the homeless poor into your house. And when you see the naked, cover him. Now, there's not a whole lot to explain here, right? This is not that hard to understand. Share your food, share your house, share your clothes. That's it. And over and over and over again in the Bible, you're going to see four groups of people that God is especially passionate about. The orphan, the widow, the poor, and then a group sometimes called alien in some versions of the Bible. Sometimes it's called sojourner. Sometimes it's called stranger. And you know what he's really talking about? Refugees. Over and over in the Bible. Take care of the orphan, the widow, the poor, and the refugees. God's all about it. Let me just give you a few verses from some spiritual leaders and what God inspired them to to say, to write. Moses said, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. (laughs) David said, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. And in the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Solomon said, Whoever gives to the poor shall not want. But he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Jeremiah said, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Jesus said, sell your possessions and give to the needy. James said, if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving them the things needed, what good is that? And John says, but but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And one of our problems that we have is we just think that what we have is ours, that we kind of earned it and maybe even kind of deserve it because we earned it. God doesn't look at wealth the way you do. And you might admit, you know, sure, I got a few breaks along the way, but mainly I worked hard for what I have. God looks at it another way. He says, yes, you worked a little bit for it, but I basically gave you what you have. I decided what century you'd be born in. I decided who your parents would be. I decided where you would get your education. And I decided what doors of opportunity would open up for you. 
So the good that has happened to you financially has less to do with your choices and more to do with the opportunities that I have engineered from heaven. So the money you have isn't really yours, it's mine. And I am calling you to take care of some of my poor ones with that money. So caring for the poor, the orphan, the widow, the refugee is not optional. It's essential. And the Lord himself will have your back if you pour yourself out for the poor. Seek justice, share generously. Third, don't hide. Don't hide. When it comes to hands-on, face-to-face, pouring ourselves out for the poor, a lot of believers are AWOL. We're missing in action. Absent without leave. God's not okay with that. Again, what's he looking for from people that fast? What's he looking for from churchgoers? He says, last part of verse 7, not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Now, you might read that and go, oh, he's talking about, you know, making sure I'm a good husband, a good mother, a good son or daughter. I'm going to take care of my family. No, no, no. Hiding from your own flesh here is not talking about family members. It's talking about the human race. It's trying to hide from any human in need. Now, most of us here in this room, we're probably living in, you know, a nice house in the suburbs. Why are we where we are? I don't know all the reasons, but I just wonder. Could it be that we're living in the suburbs because we just don't want to deal with poverty staring us in the face day after day after day? I've got a friend who's agnostic. So that means he doesn't know whether to believe in God or not. And one of his biggest hang-ups is not Jesus. His issue is not Jesus. His issue is the followers of Jesus. His issue is me and you, those of us who claim that we know Christ. My, my friend and I have <laughs> been talking, not because I initiated it, but because he did, about Jerry Falwell Jr. He was leading Liberty University. It's a Christian school. And I don't know the details. I don't really want to know. But some of his behavior in recent months has been unprofessional at best and ungodly at worst. So Falwell and the Liberty University Board agreed to part ways. Finally. In my opinion, long overdue. Falwell got, allegedly, $10 million to walk away. And my non-Christian agnostic friend wonders, how in the world could Falwell act like an unsaved man while being president of a Christian university and get a cash buyout like that? And he wonders, how many poor people could that $10 million have helped? Now, I'm trying to win this guy to Christ, and i got to listen to that and deal with it. See, everybody... Agnostics, atheists, Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, everybody knows Christians are supposed to pour themselves out for the poor. 
Now, my friend recognizes that Jesus actually literally personally helped poor people when he was walking on this earth. And he wrote to me in an email, would you expect the poor blind man to listen to Jesus if Jesus had just preached to him and then walked away? He noticed Jesus actually poured himself out. And then my friend asked this. I'm going to read this to you. When was the last time a wealthy Christian leader took $3 out of their own pocket and gave it to a beggar on the road? When was the last time they purchased paint out of their own funds and painted a house by themselves to help a widow? When was the last time they put a new roof on a poor person's house with their own funds and their own sweat? When was the last time they replaced a falling ceiling in a widow's kitchen? When was the last time they gave their own money to have a motor replaced in a prison ministry van? I know a poor person who has done all this and more and hopes to do even more. I could go on, but I'm sure you get the point. Well, I got the point all right. My agnostic friend was listing some of the things that he personally has done to help the poor. And he's wondering why Christians hide themselves. What have you done lately? What have I done lately? Or are we hiding ourselves behind our busyness and our self-importance and our nice homes and our cool hobbies and our 401ks? To pour yourself out for the poor, seek justice, share generously, and don't hide What kind of fast is the Lord looking for? It's the kind of fast that pours yourself out for the poor. Now, if you think about Jesus, what were those 33 years of ministry on this planet all about? You could say that it was a kind of fast. Think about it. He was fasting from feasting in his father's house. He was fasting from all of the adoration that he received from the cherubim and the seraphim in heaven when they sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why was Jesus so willing to say no to all the privileges of deity? Why was he willing to fast? It was because he saw in us the plight that the poor experienced in Isaiah 58. He recognized we were in bonds to an unjust enemy, the devil. He recognized that we were yoked to a futile religious system where we always had to do more and try harder in order to make God happy with us. He saw we were oppressed. He saw we were hungry for forgiveness and for hope. And he saw that we are hell-bound, spiritually poor people who have no way of ever having a home in heaven. He saw that we were naked, exposed in our shame for all the world to see our guilt. He saw all of our need. He saw all of our spiritual poverty. And he decided, I'm not going to hide myself. He came to this planet, lived among us, died on a cross. He rose again. He defeated the devil, set us free from the bonds of the devil. 
The straps of the yoke of religious performance have been undone. We don't have to do more and try harder to please God because Jesus has already pleased God in our place. In Christ, we are free. We are free to live and learn and love and laugh. He's the bread of life who actually satisfies our hungry souls with his presence and his peace. And because of Jesus, we're not homeless anymore. He has died. He has risen. And he has gone to heaven to prepare a place for us to live with him forever. And one of these days, he's inviting us to a feast that will blow our minds. And what Isaiah is asking us to do for the poor among us is exactly what Jesus has already done for us who call him Savior and Lord. We love the poor because he first loved the poor. And that's us. So what we just went through was, was it's called the good news. It's called the gospel. And, and this is both why to pour yourself out for the poor and how to pour yourself out for the poor. And unless we rehearse this good news for ourselves on a regular basis, our self-centered excuses will continue. We will just justify our inactivity. We won't show up. We will minimize our responsibility. We will rationalize and we will say, well, I just don't have the time and I just don't have the resources. It's like if Jesus has given you everything that you have, why would you not want to let other people in on these blessings? If we will preach the good news about Jesus to ourselves, that he who was rich became poor so that we who were poor could become rich, then we will want to pour ourselves out for the poor. Jesus is our pattern. He shows us how to do it. He's our pardon. He forgives us when we don't do it. And he's our power. He gives us the ability to live the kind of lives we know we ought to be living. Do you know Jesus? There's no one like him. He stands ready to forgive all of the times when you fail to seek justice. He stands ready to forgive all of the times you have failed to share generously. He has, stands ready to forgive you for all of the times when you ran and you hid. If you want his forgiveness, just come to him. Come to the cross and see him dying there instead of you. In your place for your sins. Repent of your sins. Give your life to Jesus. And here's a prayer that you could pray. Lord God, you are the good, wise, and sovereign ruler of all. Just pray this in your heart to God. Yet I have rebelled against you. I have sinned and acted selfishly. I've not poured myself out for the poor as I should. Please forgive me. And I believe you sent Jesus to show me how to live and to die on the cross in my place to pay for my sin. I believe he rose again. And I now make Jesus the Lord of my life. Help me to stop hiding, to share generously, and to seek justice for all, especially for the poor. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know, Maybe that prayer expresses the desire of your heart. Maybe when you saw that, you go, man, I, I need that. I need Jesus. I need his forgiveness. I need his help. And if that's you, text the word Jesus to 440-276-5575. 440-276-5575. Just text the word Jesus. Now, what does this have to do with the upcoming election? There's a British scholar, his name's James Mumford, and he talks about package deal ethics. Package deal ethics. 
What does he mean? Well, political parties are saying you can't work with us on this one issue if you don't embrace our whole platform. We should never bow the knee to the right or to the left when we're pressured that way. Because God calls us to be pro-life and to care for the poor. And he taught us to stand for the sanctity of biblical marriage and to pursue racial reconciliation. So sometimes a follower of Jesus might appear radically liberal. And sometimes a follower of Jesus might appear radically conservative. Because the historic Christian positions on social issues just don't fit neatly into a two-party political system. So what are we going to do? I mean, are we just going to withdraw and be apolitical? We can't simply uncritically adopt any man-made party platform. What we got to do is we got to stand with the Lord. We got to stand with the Bible. So I just want to say, don't define yourself as red or blue. We stand with the King of Kings. We stand with the Lord of Lords. And if we're truly biblical, then we're probably going to offend some people on the right and we're going to offend some people on the left. The biblical commands to lift up the poor and to defend the rights of the oppressed are moral imperatives for us. This past Friday, I was on the phone with um, Dr. C.J. Matthews, pastor of Mount Sinai Baptist Church in downtown Cleveland. He's a black pastor friend. I got to know when Greg Jacobs and I went to Washington, D.C. for a White House briefing back in 2004. C.J. is known for leading his church to be very active in dealing with economic justice issues. He spent time on various commissions and agencies and foundations to deal with the plight of the urban poor. So I said, hey, can, can we talk? So we were on the phone for a little while on Friday. And here's what he said. I do not consider myself a Republican or a Democrat or even an Independent. These are man's constructs. There is no left or right in the Bible. We've been called to be salt and light. We cannot be involved the way everyone else is. The church of Jesus Christ, he said, must create a new construct. Dr. Matthew says the government built some affordable housing for the poor near his church. And he said the rent there is $1,000 a month. And I said, man, that seems a little high. He goes, well, do you know how the people pay for it? I said, no. He says, Section 8 funds from the government pays for it. He said, in our efforts to help the poor, we are creating a dependency. We need to create policies for the urban poor for empowerment and not for enablement. So his church has trained the poor to start and run businesses that will actually put other poor people to work in those businesses. Now, we might have disagreements on how to best help people in poverty. I mean, should we shrink government and help businesses prosper because we believe that a robust economy is actually going to benefit the poor? Or should we expand the government and give the state more of the power to redistribute wealth? The Bible doesn't give exact answers to these questions for every time, every place, every culture. The Bible just continues to lift up Jesus. The Bible says Jesus will change individual lives one at a time 
And when those people are put into positions of influence and power and authority, they will bring biblical justice to bear in every situation. Chad said, remember to do for some what you wish you could do for all. My question is, what are you doing personally to care for somebody who's poor? Not what your mom and dad are doing. Not what your friend's doing. Not even what your church is doing. It's like, what are you doing? And this church is filled with people that have sacrificed themselves to do a lot for the poor in the past. Let me just give you three ideas. One involves your time, one involves your talent, one involves your treasure. Time. Here's what I will say. Do your homework. Do your homework. Getting ready for this election. I, I, I don't think I'm alone. I've gone into the voting booth and, you know, I've looked at the ballot and I'm like going, oh, man, I was ready to vote for this election, but I don't know anything about these candidates. I didn't even know I had a chance to vote for these candidates. And what I'm saying is that some of the people that are working in the state house are closer to the poor and figure out ways to help them than the person that's in the White House. So do your homework, not just on one election, but on all the elections you're going to have a chance to vote for. You say, well, I, I, I don't know how to do that. Let me give you a website, ivoters.com. Voters, plural, ivoters.com. Write that down. Because what you can do is go to that website, type in your zip code, and it'll show you all the different races that you're going to have an opportunity to vote for. And you can explore the positions of all of the candidates and not walk into the booth and go like a deer in headlights. Like, I didn't know I was going to get a chance to vote on this. Do your homework. And by the way, if you want to know what the Republican Party platform is, and you don't want to read the whole thing because it's long, and you want to know what the Democratic Democratic Party platform is, and you don't want to read it because it's so long, you can go to the Gospel Coalition website, and you can type in platform, Republican platform, Democratic platform, and you can see a great summary there, the Gospel Coalition. All right, that's time. Do your homework. Second, talent. And I just want to say, volunteer for one of our Big Ten missions. See them on the screen. Building Hope in the City. Care on the Square, Rahab Ministries. And if you say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm not making any promises, but I'd just like to find a little bit more about what it means to volunteer and help one of these ministries to help the poor, then uh, text the word SERVE to 440-276-5575. Rick Eimers and our missions team will be glad to help you figure out what God's call is on your life. Time, talent, treasure. What if you just said, you know, for the next season of my life, I'm going to fast one meal a week, and I'm going to give that five bucks or that ten bucks to help somebody that's poor. That money that I would have spent on my own gut, I'm going to actually give that money away to help somebody in need. Here's my question. What is your next step? to pour yourself out for the poor. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And would you just ask God, God, what's my next step? 
to pour myself out for the poor and listen to what he says. Here's my next question. Will you do what he says? Father in heaven, I do ask you to help us to reflect your heart. Help us to reflect the life, the legacy of Jesus. We know we can't do it on our own. We know that Jesus has to fill us and lead us. But I pray that you would lead us to be more faithful to you in this area. Show us what to do. Give us the power to do it. Show our nation what to do. Give our nation the power to do it. Because we know that when we pour ourselves out for the poor, you will have our backs. Help us, God, pour ourselves out for the poor so that world will be able to see Jesus and will want to know him and be saved and join us in heaven forever. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.